what do you what do you think it's going to be like when we actually finally get to experience life without lockdown do you think everybody's going to rush to take advantage of the the house parties and the the, the pubs or are people going to be quite cautious i think it's probably 50 50. i agree i i think it's dependent upon your expectations and your experiences um for those who've had the shield covid hasn't disappeared and thus there will be a hesitance in their interactions with people um i say that from personal experience of my own sister for those who are potentially under the age of 25, um, it's a license to go to every house party from now to carnival. Um, yeah. Actually, carnival's not happening, is it? Is carnival not happening? Don't no, they will make their own carnival. They will make their own as, carnival. As long as it's not on my doorstep, I support it wholeheartedly. <laughs> yes, so mixed. But I think this will be, as people have always stated, the new normal, where some people will be extremely cautious. I'm sorry, sir, do you mind just stepping a, a meter away? Yeah. Others will be trying to engage in every single possible activity going. But for the, the, the business-minded individuals, the entrepreneurs uh, of the world, I think the point of encouragement that I'll share is in four weeks' time, the world is going to shift and any shift leads to opportunities. So this is a perfect opportunity for you to gear up, prepare and take advantage of the way that the world is going to change. Um, unfortunately, the pandemic has led to some businesses really struggling, but the way the world is changing is going to give many people a new lease of life. It's going to give some businesses a new lease of life. So be prepared to take advantage. And with that, Expensive Lessons. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Expensive Lessons, where company directors share with you the experiences, the pain, the laughter, the love, the heartbreak that they've experienced during their relatively short experience as entrepreneurs. Today, ladies and gentlemen, we have a serious treat for you. Um, one of the caveats that we always share on Expensive Lessons is we're relatively new to the entrepreneurial game. We haven't been in this for even a decade yet. Um, and therefore take our advice, take our insight with a pinch of salt. But today we have an incredible guest who has over 25 years of business experience and somebody who I am not going to do a disservice to and say that take their words or take their input with a caveat. Everything they say is gold. I'm saying this from now. Um, <laughs> I am introducing Claudine Reed, MBE. And Claudine is an award-winning social entrepreneur um, and has been at the helm of a multi-award winning social enterprise, PJ's Group, for over 25 years, providing essential services to enhance and transform communities. Claudine is a certified leadership coach, trainer, and speaker with the world-renowned John Maxwell team. In addition to this role, she has served as a governor, advisor, chair, and vice chair of governors for four schools and colleges, community consultant for faith communities and former social entrepreneur in residence for Kingston University, supporting the university to add value to students using the vehicle of social enterprise. Claudine's international work includes mentoring women in leadership roles in developing countries. And more recently, Claudine was appointed to chair the committee for black business owners at Lloyds Banking Group, one of the oldest financial institutions in the UK. Her latest accolade is that she is a Forbes Council member, recently producing an article, 12 ways business owners can take their personal brand to the next level. 
Claudine, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, both of you. I mean, I'm, I'm honoured to be here in great company. <laughs> um, hopefully, uh, I did, did the introduction uh, good service and not didn't put too much pressure on you there. <laughs> well, ask me that at the end. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Um, I want to start off with a question about your lifestyle. I had a look at your Instagram and noticed that you, you enjoy uh, juices of all kinds. Afalabi and I had a meeting a couple of weeks ago and I produced a kale, banana and apple smoothie, which he didn't touch because I think he was disgusted by the colour. Is there any juice combination that you've had to date that you've thought to yourself, I don't care how healthy this is, I'm never touching it again? Do you know what? I'm probably the wrong person to ask this question because my nutritionist told me that if I see food as medicine, mm. then I will look at it and eat it and consume it in a very different way. So regardless of how vile it tastes, I'm constantly telling myself this is medicine <laughs> and it's going to be good for me. So the short answer is no. I, I, I generally stick with the framework of 80% veg, 20% fruit. And, 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 and if you use those combinations, the, the volume of veg doesn't make it taste nice anyway. But my focus is this is medicine. This Fair is enough. medicine. This is medicine. Therefore, I can take it. You're a better person than me. <laughs> I, I draw the line at turmeric and garlic in a smoothie. Um, and oh. my, <laughs> yeah, my, my wife's, mum or mother-in-law should I say uh, gave me a turmeric and garlic shot and I said this is the first and last time that this is going into my system um, but welcome and as, as the introduction suggests you've had a really interesting entrepreneurial career and with that comes a starting point so my first question to you is what did young Claudine want to do at, at primary school level um, before before the uh, before the business career started? What did she want to do when she was a, a little girl? <laughs> really, what you should say is, what did Claudine's mum want her to do when she good, was a good, little good girl? Point, good point. Good point. Good yeah. <laughs> point. Um, do you know what? I think every young person has these massive aspirations to be to be what they see. And I around me saw doctors and teachers. And so that was um, that was the aspiration. And I, I, I don't I think I heard Michelle Obama um, with this response that sometimes we say this is what we want to be because we don't know anything else. So as a young person, I wanted to be either a doctor <laughs> or a teacher <laughs> My medical skills right now extend as probably far as a plaster. I could probably do a bandage <laughs> if I watched a quick YouTube video or something, but they are non-existent. Well, my fellow Nigerians will know that I only had four options to choose from as a young boy. I had engineer, I had doctor, I had lawyer. What was the other one, Afalabi? Fraudster. Fraud <laughs> Fraudster. <laughs> 419 artist. Um I, I didn't choose the last one. I ended up uh, in a career in engineering uh, before starting my own uh, business journey. But 
at some point you made a transition um, into the world of business and how did that come about? So how did you find yourself working as a, as, as, as a director of a social enterprise? Look, this story is not conventional. It's as unconventional as they come. So my I favorite story. So this is probably, you know, right where your listeners, right where your audience are. I was doing my business degree and I was out of the country, um, living in Europe for a couple of months. And whilst I was away, I called my friend like, look, as part of my degree, I need to work for a year. You need to find me a job. So he said, okay, no problem. Go work for my brother. I worked for my friend's brother for about, I don't know, six months, I think, three to six months. He said to me, he doesn't want me to leave. I, I was supposed to stay for a year. So he proposed to me. I said, yes, we got married. 25 years later, I'm still here. So that was welcome to the world of business, Claudine. <laughs> um, and, and I guess, you know, the, the, the other half of the story you know, I, I was doing a business degree and I wanted to get into business, but perhaps not straight away. I wanted industry experience. I wanted to teach business. So, you know, my, my childhood aspiration. But I realized actually, in my opinion, some of the best business teachers are the ones who've experienced or run a business themselves. So my, my I've kind of come full circle on that one. But in order to realize my, my, my ambition, for a while, I left the business and went to work in a school with this, you know, I wasn't going to let this thing go. Like, just because I'm married doesn't mean I put all my ideas or my and my desires on the shelf. So I left whilst my children, I left the business and went to work in a school. And I think that was more about an experience of learning why you shouldn't do something at that particular time. The school was a fantastic experience, really opportune time of learning and just kind of seeing... But at the same time, I realized actually I shouldn't be here. I actually should be back in my business because that's where I can make the biggest transformation. But I grew in that space of time. That's the other thing, right? So for as much as I realize actually my time in that arena should only be 12 months, I also grew exponentially. And I know this because when I went back to the business, the staff were like, whoa, you've been away for 12 months. What's happened to you? Because I came back with a different mindset about business I took everything that I learned in that arena and began to implement it make it fit for purpose in my business so that there's a, a really important lesson there about not being closed off to new opportunities and not being not allowing that learning curve to plateau too much and we could go in so many different directions but one of the things that I do want to to share from my experience is that as a consultant I tend to work with um, entrepreneurs, business owners with a very rigid vision and who are very romantic about how they make their money. Yeah. Um, they, you know, they have this vision of this is how I want to make their money. So my question there is how do you encourage people to be open-minded to opportunities um, when they don't necessarily fit the framework that they were planning from young age? really good question you know um abby and sometimes you've got to be able to smell the opportunity i think part of this is about intuition it's about understanding the the environment that you operate in it's about understanding the sector you know we could talk right now about covid19 and what it, what it, what it's what it has done to business 
listen, I saw people opening up business the day after lockdown, selling masks and hand sanitizer, right? So you have to smell the the opportunity. In my industry, in my business, it's compulsory for my staff to have PPE. So the, the, the PPE that I was at, this hand sanitizer BC before COVID was 50p for, for that bottle. Yeah. Within 24 hours, that 50p bottle had gone to 2.99. And then other companies were selling it at 4.99. Thankfully, the price has kind of stabilized a little bit. But it's about smelling that opportunity and being in a position to respond, because that's the other thing. You can smell an opportunity, but you also need to have the capital the knowledge the access the, the skill to realize that 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 thing um one of my favorite authors as you know john maxwell he speaks about marrying the mission and not the methodology so you can be very um clear about the ultimate goal the ultimate purpose of what you want to achieve the business that you want to set up but the way how you run the business the methodology has to be flexible. Things change. We're in industry 4.0 right now. You still can't be using typewriters, right? Mm. It's that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even with, with your with your starting business, there are many people who may have said that's my lot and said, you know, this is the, the avenue that I'm going down. This is the area that I've focused on. But from the introduction and from, from your, your background, you've clearly done a lot of different work over the years. And can, can you tell me about that? So you have your commitment to your day job and to making sure that you're doing that to your best of your ability, but you also want to learn and grow and also contribute into other areas. How do you balance that? Um, yeah, so, you know, I'm not precious about who runs the business. What I am precious about is the system of the business. So my expertise is about building robust systems. Once I've built a robust system, I can employ, train somebody to run that system. What that does for me is buys my freedom. Dr. Miles Monroe said, freedom is not free. It's cost me blood, sweat and tears to buy my freedom. And the way how I bought it was by investing in other people <laughs> to run my business. When they're running my business, according to the system that I've created, if it goes wrong, do this. If it goes right, do this. That frees me to explore other opportunities. Patrick and I have been really quiet. Patrick's my husband of 25 years. We celebrate 25 years on the 8th of June. Let me just Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Um, one of the things that we've been really, you know, highly blessed with is Patrick is the, the visionary of our business. Like, Every four years, we've started a new business. And for those of your listeners who understand the life cycle of business, business doesn't last forever. So you have to constantly be able to adapt to your environment. So we've started, um, the business that we started in 1992, we closed it in around 2015, something like that, because it had come to its natural end its introductory phase, its growth, maturity, and decline. So we are always in that learning mode. We are always looking at how is the environment changing within our sector? How is the environment changing? And what do we need to do to keep abreast of that? 
so many gems in that single um, uh, monologue. I mean, the first thing that I'm taking away from this and that I want to share with uh, the listeners is the importance of not being precious about your business and not being precious about the way that you make money. Because even if you've got this gold star, gold-plated idea for a revolutionary new box, whatever it might be, it's got a limited lifespan. It will get to maturity and eventually decline. And then you're in no man's land. And what if you're one of those individuals who achieves their their goal by their early 20s, their mid 20s, then where do you go with it? You must continue to evolve and continue um, to adapt. That's the second point I want to, to mention, and this comes direct from John Maxwell himself, is the importance of creating leaders. Yeah. As a as an effective leader, you don't just want to lead people, you want to lead leaders. Um, and that I think is one of the, the biggest challenges that I'm facing at the moment, cultivating and creating new leaders, because it's a completely different game. Um, and something that takes time, something that takes experience and some, some, something that takes a lot of emotional intelligence. Um, from, from your experience, and what, as I said, we're going to delve into a lot of different areas. I, I want to touch on that. What's been your biggest kind of lesson that you've picked up around training new leaders, learn, you know, learning how to, to lead leaders? So there's a famous saying that says there is no success without a successor. So in order for legacy to be realized, you have to train generations. And when I say generations, I don't only mean generation within your bloodline generations in your community, generations of people who you are connected to. And in order to think generationally, you can't only be thinking about yourself. Because if you are only thinking about yourself, back to that famous saying that says, give a man a fish, then you're only looking after yourself. Now you are not a complete ecosystem on your own. So if you want to create ecosystems, if you want to create something that is sustainable, you have to create leaders. You have to be able to seed into them the lessons that you have learned, but also handhold them through the process. That to me represents legacy. That to me represents a trimensional side of legacy. Trimensional legacy being personal. What do I leave for my, my, my bloodline, my family? generational what do I leave for those who are coming after me but also eternal what's happening when I'm not here that dash that represents 1974 dash versus to my expiry date what happened in that time when I am no longer here what will people say about me and that's important because I think you know the saying says to whom much is given much is required I'm one of them people who acknowledge that I've been given much and I'm not afraid to admit that. Therefore, I have to do, I have to use what I've been given and the way how I use it is by training, supporting, empowering and enabling the next generation of leaders. And my business is just a vehicle for me to do that. So if I was... So if I was a DJ right now, this is where I would do all of the sound effects and all the noises, say, pull it, pull it, pull it. We, all of that, so let's make, make sure we start all over again. Honestly, that's seriously valuable stuff. And again, there's, there are too many lessons to take away from that. But the one that resonated with me the most is around 
almost galvanizing different people around a common vision, galvanizing people around what do we want to stand for? What do we want to be remembered for? What do we want to known, be known for? Now, um, I've known Afalabi long enough to know that when he sits back in his chair, that means that he's really heard something impactful. Um, so over to you, Afalabi. What, what would you like to share? Claudine, you're on fire right now. I mean, let me just put it out there. You are on fire. It is extremely hot. I am hot because of what I'm hearing. Um, when you were speaking about succession and no success without a successor, and previously you were speaking about transferable skills and your understanding and your development in leadership and transferring that into a new context and realizing that you have to create robust systems to free yourself, it linked closely to a conversation that Abby and I were having before this episode, where I recalled a prayer a few years ago, where the desire was for our children to start where we stop and to get them as quickly as possible to the point where we are having conversations with them as peers about thought leadership, strategic leadership, um, knowledge leadership, so that they can succeed and take it even further. I, I wanna go deeper into this and I wanna to suggest to everyone who's really listening, go back and re-listen to the last 20 minutes because there's so much here because where I wanna take this is deep. In your current life right now, what are you currently thinking about that you want those who you support, those who you work with, those who you have as children yourself to also be thinking about? Um, you know, I, I, I love this question. I, mean, I, I feel like you're, you, you've been sitting in my head or something <laughs> and you've extracted all the stuff that are close to my heart. There are three key things, um, Afalabi. The first one will always be job creation. Um, I've spent the last 25 years making sure that the jobs that we create are sustainable. Over 8,000 jobs in that period of time. And the reason I know this is because that's the, that's the way how my payroll numbers work. So we're at 8,000 because we've had 8,000 people go through, through, through the company. But it's important for legacy. So the second thing that's important, so I said job creation, generational wealth, like you said, the famous proverb says, a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. And that's how we have progress in our communities. When we are able to allow the next generation to start with something, stand on our shoulders, see with our eyes. But the only way they can see with our eyes is if we have those conversations with them, if we teach them what to see and show them through our own lens, they can then sharpen that up with their own lens in context of the environment that they are living in and all of the shifts that are taking place. So job creation, generational wealth, and then the third thing is social mobility. We will always be in the same place unless something shifts. And one of, the, one of the components that can help us make that shift is the entrepreneurial nature of individuals who make up the backbone of the British economy. It's entrepreneurs who create jobs. Okay, government can facilitate the process, but that's what this stimulus is about right now. The British government, for your international listeners, the British government is providing... Uh, payment funds, if you like, to support entrepreneurs to take on um, young people aged 16 to 25 to give them a job. 
the government is paying them through our corporations, through our companies for six months, giving us the opportunity to stimulate the economy because we create jobs. We focus on social mobility. We create generational wealth. So those things, um, Afalabi, are really important to me because I also see how they link to legacy, leadership, livelihood, and ultimately life. Claudine, you're an educator. Um, humbly, if I can, please add that to your bio. <laughs> okay. um, mm. I, I say that as an educator myself. I say it as someone who, who joined a senior leadership team in January and had what was probably going to go down as the most important presentation of my life today. While I was able to show them the characteristics of high-performing schools, what we are doing to move towards that, and the necessity for leadership, thought leadership, um, strategic leadership, knowledge leadership. What would you say are the obstacles to the people that you work with in understanding what you are saying in terms of the importance of job creation, generational wealth and social mobility, the young women you work with, uh, the young males that you work with? What's the obstacle for them to enable them to see that? To see that. Their mindset. What they see around them. Sometimes <laughs> life on the ground isn't real, right? And it's about this personal empire that they are creating for themselves and it creates a false perception of reality. So the mindset blockers will encourage people to believe that entrepreneurship is all about me. It's all about what I do. Yes, of course, there is always going to be a visionary. There always has to be a team. But that mindset block will force you to stay where you are and sabotage that future because there isn't that tendency to partner, to collaborate. Everybody's competing with each other. I believe that I compete with me. I should be I'm competing with the version of Claudine that was alive yesterday. I've got to be better tomorrow than I am today. Other people, I'll collaborate with them because as you grow a robust business, you realize that you do not have all of the skills to grow a seven-figure business. My business is a seven-figure business, not only because of me. Yeah, of course, mine and Patrick's name <laughs> are there as directors, but we had to buy in skill. We had to buy in what we didn't have in order to take it to that place. And now that it's at that place, I still have to pay other people to help it, to help sustain it there. Why? Because I am free. I have the freedom that I have bought. Now, in order to maintain that seven-figure business, I've got to invest in other people so that they too can continuously learn how to sustain a seven-figure business that is built around our vision. Again, where, where do I even take this? Um, I, I think the first point I want to pull out from that, which is your people's limiting mindsets, from my experience, one of the main reasons why some businesses never start is because people are so nervous about somebody else stealing their idea, rather than being open and collaborative and saying, this is my idea, who do I need to team with, partner with, collaborate to make it a reality? Who cares who gets the praise? Let's just add value to the ecosystem and see what the world um, gives, gives us back. So for, for me, that, that stood out as, 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 a, as a key bit. Um, 
to, to piggyback off Afalabi's question, we talk about some of the intangible kind of psychological barriers to achieving, but from, from your position working um, with, with the uh, Committee for Black Business Owners, um, you've probably seen some real barriers for black businesses um, in, in this day and age. So I'm really keen to, to understand what do, you, what do you think that burning platform currently looks like um, inhibiting black businesses from succeeding? Um, before I go to that question, I've just made a note of that. Yeah. Can I go back to the point about um, competition and people stealing your ideas? Yeah, sure. So... <clears throat> When our business started, we started 30 odd years, 29 years ago, next year, 30 years, oh my gosh, um, 29 years ago as a grocery home shopping delivery company. This was way before Tesco.com, Mercado, Sainsbury's and all of them. Anyway, we were very green and this is probably one of our biggest mistakes, right? Who knew what an NDA was 29 years ago? So we thought, oh my gosh, you know, we're doing business and a major supermarket now wants to buy our business Woohoo! tell them everything so we told them everything they said to us you know if you had money what would you do if you made if you um, had access to technology what would you do because we were doing the hard graft of building the business hardcore manual labor so if we had money this is what we would do and we told them all of this because they were gonna buy our business after I was doing all of the, you know, the pieces of work that is around the um, 2P transfer and what role will you have, I would have been a section manager in a local supermarket. No disrespect to section managers, but my point is we were green and we told them everything. One year to the, one year to the day was the launch of Tesco.com when we started our initial conversations with them. Here's the point. They took our idea and ran with it. So what did we do? Rather than, you know, curl up in a ball and think, oh, my gosh, the big boys have taken everything that we have. We reframed our idea. We went back to the drawing board. We can't fight Tesco, <laughs> but we can answer a couple of things. And let's play this game smartly. So we played smart. We made a wish list. These are the things that we want. This is what we're going to put in place. And this is how we now are going to support you doing what, you're want, what you want to do. We have the capacity to bring you in excess of a million pounds a year. Do you want it or not? Of course they do. Of course they do. So my point about competition and my point about people stealing your ideas is a calculated risk that as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, that you have to take. And one, one, before you answer the, the second part of that question, I want to share another lesson that I've been taking away from you, which is, something that we promoted for a while on this uh, podcast, which is there is no bitterness in business. There is no room for bitterness in business. So when you are dealing with your client who tells you off because you've done X, Y, and Z, or you're dealing with a potential collaborator who's gone away from you and is now dealing with a competitor, if they decide to come back to work with you, as, as long as you can trust their, their, their integrity, we're working together again. Um, Far too many times I'm, I'm working with very passionate entrepreneurs who have been burned or have been hurt by somebody who was supposed to look after them or supposed to, to, to help them and have decided that for that reason, they're going to walk away from their business altogether. My encouragement and Claudine's encouragement is take a step back, reframe and go back into it again. 
um, really valuable. So, so, so the second piece of your question, which was about barriers for black businesses in, in particular, right? Yeah, that's right. So I see that, I see that as there are a couple of barriers that I see around access to finance. I think that's probably the number one thing, which is why I feel so passionate about social mobility, job creation and generational wealth, um, access to opportunities and access to knowledge, mm. right? Sometimes we are where we are because of what we know. What would shift if we knew more? Sometimes we are where we are because we are not in the places where opportunities are being spoken about. Why? Because I'm shy. I don't want to go there. The people don't look like me. Or we self-sabotage. My accent is too strong. Oh, there's only men in this environment. Oh, there's no black people over here. None of them sound like me. They all have PhD. I don't have this. We're sabotaging our ability to go into those places where opportunities are discussed. And then last, firstly, I spoke about access to finance. And I think that's a uh, uh, probably a more of a generational issue around access to finance. We don't always have the vocabulary to understand what that presentation needs to look like for a uh, for a high level financial discussion some people are happy or, or to, to some people the extent of their business plan is a 5k loan now again let's keep this in context there is nothing wrong with a 5k loan but if you are talking about growing and scaling a global business, you should really be speaking in excess of five million, perhaps, if that's, our, if that's the size of your vision. And what I have observed is that our vision is too small mm -hmm. because we haven't had access to knowledge. We haven't had access to opportunities. Therefore, the size of our vision is 5,000 pounds, when actually if we had more exposure to different opportunities the size of our vision overnight could be five million pounds but that requires a different mindset a different network and a different thought process altogether yeah and how do i say this in the nicest possible way i do believe that there are people who have the five million pound vision but their strategy is saying it politely, inadequate. So there are people who have that five million pound vision, I'm going to create X, Y, and Z, and it's massive. And But when I ask, where's your business plan? Or what is your go-to-market strategy? There are some significant gaps. So in, 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 in my community, I definitely see there's maybe a bit of an all or nothing mentality. Either it's kind of bottom of the barrel or it's shoot for the moon. Um, and the, the, the point of encouragement that I'd like to share with people is that an investor isn't always going to be your stereotypical kind of middle-aged white man with a monocle and a bag of money um, walking around uh, the city centre. It could be the people in your community who want a better option for their money than what's available to them now and actually trust that you would be a good steward for their money and turn it into something else. So I think that middle piece is definitely somewhere where the community can, can be galvanized to say, let's pool our money into some of these ideas and see if it can grow, grow further. Absolutely. But even on that point, um, Abby, a couple of observations around 
pooling pooling that money, which is a fantastic idea. You know, that's what crowdfunding is all about. But even when you've pooled, pooled all of that money, the skill to manage that pool is now at a size that requires a different type of mindset. Mm. And so the lack of skill, like you said, you can't have a £5,000 mentality and expect a £5 million business. A shift has to take place. Continuous learning has to take place. Elements around trust and legal documents that govern the trust and the penalties for mismanagement of opportunities, mismanagement of finance. And in your experience, what does that look like? Um, so you've probably come across individuals who started off with a very basic understanding of how to succeed in business and maybe seen that light bulb moment where things have just flipped and then somebody that you've worked with has gone from zero to 100. I'm not suggesting there's a formula, but maybe you've seen certain characteristics or certain experiences within those people that have made that light bulb switch on. Yeah, those those, those characteristics, I guess, are the courageous, tenacious people who don't accept failure is not an option. They are constantly pushing, constantly learning, um, constantly looking for how they can improve themselves. I was interviewing... Um, uh, doing the induction rather for a couple of new recruits in my organization and I was so pleased to hear when I you know said to them you know what are you what are you look what does your future look like and one of the new recruits she's 21 she said to me I'm looking for a better version of me because I know that there is so much more to learn and at 21 years old I don't think that I have it all and I'm coming here in this organization <laughs> to grasp what I can. I'm like, she needs to stay right here, employ her right now because she's open to learn. And I think that's part of the key. We have to be open to learn. It's that whole psychological piece, right? Of unlearning what you know to be true in order to relearn. Because it's not that it it's not good, but it's no longer fit for purpose. So we now have to unpick it unlearn and relearn and make it fit for this current season that we are in. Amazing. That requires someone to be critically reflective. Um, this is an amazing skill. Just, just listening to you and when you speak about knowledge, it, it reminds me of where it's written that people perish for a lack of knowledge. Yeah. Um, reading into you, um, you're, you're a speaker for John Maxwell. Um, yeah. Abby and I are huge fans. Um, I've read three of his books, my favorite being The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. I want to marry two questions in one. Um, how does your faith influence your work? And Maxwell, why and how did that happen? <laughs> um, okay, so if I can go back a moment, um, Afalabi, Self-awareness is the first rule of growth, right? If you want to improve yourself, you also have to be aware of your gaps. You have to be aware of what's good, what's not good, what's working, what's not working. Why am I not making the progress that I want to make? And that takes, like you said, a significant amount of reflection. You have to look in the mirror in the same way that you do and think, oh, I've got a spot here. <laughs> Those are the things we don't like to discuss. But when you're talking about character, growth, 
leadership and personal development, you have to be aware of where your flaws are in order to close those gaps. And for me, John Maxwell was that person. Because he started out as, um, <laughs> he started out as a preacher and at 60 years old, he made the transition from ecclesiastical church work into being the renowned world leader, leadership coach that he is now. And the transition happened like this. He realized that he was able to make more impact in the business community than he was being in the church community. And I remember being at his conference, oh my gosh, about two, three years ago in Florida when he shared this story because his whole family, his grandfather was a preacher, his dad was a preacher, and now he's about to break the family tradition. He shared with us that before he spoke to his dad, remember he's 60 years old, he cried, like, what are you crying for? Because he respected his family tradition so much and now he felt like he was about to let the family down. So he cried, went to see his dad, looked dad, I'm really sorry to be a disappointment. Like, man, you're 60 years old, what do you mean a disappointment? And his dad said to him, if this is where you are called to make the most impact, then go ahead. I will deal with the rest of the family. So his dad took the burden that he was carrying, like, oh my gosh, what am I going to say to the rest of my family? His dad spoke to the rest of the family. He went off at 60 and then carried on. So he spoke to me, um, Afalabi, in terms of his ability to, you know, our favorite book says faith without works is dead. His demonstration of faith was about teaching leadership in a real tangible way and making it come alive in different, in different arenas. And as I said, it, it spoke to me because I'm not your average entrepreneur. I want to make sure that the mark that I leave is, has ripple effect. So that generations will be speaking about Claudine. Generations will feel the ripple effect of my legacy. So not so much speaking about Claudine, but feeling the ripple effects of legacy. And legacy is about that system, that structure, those things that you put in place that outlive the person. In terms of legacy, this is the second time that we're speaking and I can confidently say that you are depositing something within me which will live within me and those who come after me and there's a, a great deal of responsibility on my part in terms of what I do with it and I'm very keen on really picking the minds of greats and I, I'm putting you in that category so my next question is potentially a rather vulnerable question but a sincere one in terms of looking back where would you say you have wasted the most amount of time Ooh. and why? Uh, where have I wasted the most amount of time and why? Um, I found out the other day that life begins at 40. <laughs> I found out, like, whoa, I'm about to start having the time of my life. I think between my 30s, in my 30s rather, 30 to 39, I spent too much time worrying about what other people were thinking instead of maintaining my focus and pushing. Mm. And to me now, when I look back, 
maybe 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 not time wasted but it could have been invested better so in the in that period oh i learned huge amounts about me about my character flaws about my failures about what i like and what i dislike and what i need to do in order to be a better wife a better mother a better entrepreneur because all of those things converge i don't ever want my goals to be um at i want my goals to be congruent i don't want them to be tension to my in in my goals so do i strive for business success at the expense of my marriage do i strive for you know this seven figure business at the expense of raising my children my goals have to be congruent and i guess if i was to really unpick it i spent that time finding out who i was which is an integral part of the journey because now when life begins at 40 i can step up the pace i love it um i want to converge the last two discussion points so we talked about um self-awareness and identifying your areas of improvement. Um, one of the things that we discuss quite a lot is blind spots. We all have blind spots and the way that we kind of effectively um, address those blind spots is by surrounding ourselves by amazing people and people that we are um, inspired by because then you start almost looking at them like a shopping list and go, I'd like some of that, I'd like some of that as well. Um, and you also mentioned that you know you, you, you focus on good quality time with your family, your husband is also your business partner. So my question with that is, what skill does your husband have that you wish you had more of? And what skill does, do your children have that you wish you had more of? Ah. Don't worry, he's not listening, so, or maybe he is. You, know. <laughs> <laughs> he's, you don't know if he's in the same room. He's, he's perked up, he's perked up. <laughs> Um, what skill do you know what it's a fantastic question but I think each one of the individual components that make them who they are mm. makes them unique so I don't want more of what they have I believe in the collaboration of our skills because if I had more of what they have then it would create a false perception that I don't need them and what they're bringing to the table is a different perspective I mean Patrick is oh my gosh he is the visionary he is the ideas person every morning when he wakes up there are at least 50 ideas before 10 a.m and I have to wade through those ideas. Yeah, that one's good. No, no, not that one. Oh, that's good. Oh, tell me about that. Give me a bit more about that. And my skill in terms of what I'm bringing to the table, I'm trying to see how can I put a system structure and framework around what you have just said and turn it into a, a sustainable business. Some of them are just projects, but others of them are viable businesses. That's how we've managed sustainability. We've in that 25, well, 25 years that I've been there, but in that period of time, we started several projects, several businesses, and the ones that have lasted were the ones that we built robust structures around. So I don't feel that I wish I had more of Patrick's skill. What I would want to do is sharpen up on my ability 
to see those ideas because here's my danger. Patrick gives, we have this conversation about, okay, maybe I'm grossly exaggerating 50, but it's close, right? 50 ideas before 10 a.m. What I don't know is, am I dismissing a really good idea because I can't see it? Mm. So what I would want is the, the skill of better discernment for me, not to take away Patrick's visionary nature. The same for, um, for my children in terms of what they bring to the table, what they bring. All, both of them have worked in the business, you know, as you do during the holidays. They've brought their own unique skill. Um, and interestingly, we, we have conversations about what does building business look like? I wouldn't want more of their skill. I want them to sharpen their skill so that I can stay in my zone of genius, so that I can stay in my lane and sharpen up what I have because I don't ever want to get to the point where I think I don't need them because I've got what they have. It's a beautiful answer. Um, and as you were speaking, it actually made me think about mine and Afalabi's business relationship because and. I'm keen to get your view uh, here, Falabi. I'd say that you're more of the ideas person and I'm more of the, okay, well, how are we going to make this happen person? But what do you think? Do you see, do you see, the same, see it the same way? Definitely. I'll go back to your comment on surrounding yourself with highly effective individuals and using their characteristics as a shopping list. So I know that Abby is a strategist. I will throw out an idea and he will build a system and structure around it he will help me to execute it with a strategy which will allow me to actually see my family. <laughs> but he will ensure that the, I describe the business growing rapidly in its inception, but almost being like the Leaning Tower of Pisa until he built the system around it to stand and it not needing me. So you are right, Claudine, in that we, we, we need that effective marry between different perspectives and characteristics. Yeah. Since, since we're having a love-in at the moment, I would say one thing that Afalabi has, which I'm very grateful for, is his stakeholder management skill set. As you could already tell from his, his uh, eloquent nature and his oratory skills, I love the fact that I can put him in a room with stakeholders and he can win them over. And it's been very beneficial for us at various different times of our journey. Um, painting the vision in a way that the audience will absorb in a positive manner, whereas where I'm kind of tinkering in the background trying to get the operations working. Um, Afalabi, do you have any more questions around this topic before I take it in a slightly different direction? No, I don't. Um, my only comment is I wish hours were longer <laughs> because, Claudine, this has been incredible. Thank you. It really has. And... I, I, I want to finish up with the question that we tend to ask all of our guests, um, which is, what is your most expensive lesson to date? So across your 25 years of business experience, what lesson stands out as being the most valuable, most expensive, um, however you want to reframe it? Well, I've got, I've got, I've got loads. <laughs> I've got lots of expensive lessons. Um, but that's why, you know, when we talk about the skill of the entrepreneur or the skill of the business owner, <laughs> resilience is one of those things. Um, my most expensive lesson, um, I think it has to be around, I shared with you earlier on about our 
non-disclosure agreement where we shared all of our ideas without protecting our intellectual property. I can see what our naivety and how that has propelled <laughs> one of the top five supermarkets in the UK based on our idea. It was an expensive lesson, but it also opened up doors in a different way. And of course, a supermarket has gone on and done what they have done because they have the financial resource behind them to do it. But it also taught me going forward, when you want to do business, Claudine, these are the things that you need to do to protect yourself. Okay, we learned that 20 odd years ago, but I can still see the ripple effect of that now. Maybe we should have negotiated better when they decided that's what they were going to do. Maybe we could have been a bit harder. Maybe we could have, you know, asked for shares as opposed to actual cash. You know, you, if, if I knew, if I know now, what if I know back then what I know now, life would have been different. So it's an expensive lesson that stands in front of me <laughs> and in front of Patrick all the time. But there are loads, right, um, Abby? And I think that's the thing when we talk about what is that thing that makes your business stand the test of time, it's resilience. It's being able to bounce back from a gut-wrenching situation, dust yourself off and go again. And if you don't take anything else from, from this podcast, I, I think that's a very, very useful point to end on which is regardless of how smart you think you are, regardless of how um, capable you think you are, a specific skill, the ability to dust yourself off and go back, respond to failure in a positive manner is probably going to be the single most, well, I, I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm being hyperbolic here, but right now, um, until I change my mind next week, it's the single most valuable skill that entrepreneurs can hold on to, that resilience. Um, and that can do that positive execution attitude. Um, Claudine, this has been um, absolutely fantastic. It's been the best way I can think to boost my week. Um, for, for, for the listeners, this is a, a Wednesday episode and it's gonna definitely give me the, the energy that I need to, to kick Thursday and Fridays, but um, really looking forward to the next time you join us, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Um, we haven't really scratched the surface of your journey and we'd love to hear some more gems of wisdom from you. Um, but for me, I really appreciate your time, really appreciate your input. I'll hand over to, to Afalabi to close. Thank you. This has been a blessing. Um, I am truly, truly blessed and truly grateful that you've joined us. I will be directing this episode to all of my loved ones. That speaks volumes in terms of how I think it can improve the quality of their lives. And to the listeners, I am appreciative to be here live. And I'm a firm believer that learning can always occur. And we should always be pursuing knowledge and developing our character. And one way of doing it is finding the likes of Claudine Reed and picking their brains. So for me, God bless and thank you all. Take care.